You're going to want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 is where we're going to start. Hold that in readiness. I had the perfect fishing location in Auburn, Indiana. I had caught so many fish out of that pond. I had great success there. Always had great success there. My preacher friend Lloyd had showed me the place. He showed me the lures to use. And I got to be honest with you, it was my favorite fishing spot of all. So when my cousin's husband, George, wanted me to take him fishing, I had to make sure that he didn't know where it was. I didn't, you know, want to give up your spot. But I had gotten a new ice fishing pole for Christmas. So I decided I'm going to take George out ice fishing at this guaranteed spot. Ice fishing is a northern thing, by the way. So I had my auger and I had my ice fishing pole and I had just the right lures and it was very cold out there, which you want it to be cold. And I dug a hole in the spot that I knew we would catch a fish. Nothing. So we moved to another location. Nothing. After several hours and probably more than a dozen holes, we're freezing. It's brutal. We can't catch a thing. And here I had been talking this thing up to George for years. And so we left empty-handed, and I was ticked off, and I was embarrassed, and I was cold. All those things together. In fact, that's the last time I ever ice-fished, by the way. That was just enough. The owner of the pond called me and asked how we did, and I said, nothing. I told her exactly what I just told you. And Donna said, I don't understand. I said, I don't either. Well, when the spring rolled around and the ice melted, all the fish were dead and rolled up on the shore because it had frozen so thick, the ice had, that it killed all the fish. There was no room for the fish to swim. So for six hours, I fished in a pond with no fish. And I had no idea or I would have quit. I wouldn't have even gone there. But there's, there's a depth that you just don't know. You don't know. I think that's what's going on in today's story. There's a depth that we just don't know. A depth of suffering, a depth of evil, a depth of evil perpetrating crimes on children that we just can't understand. We just don't know. 
The person that's like, oh yeah, I know, I know everything. Well, then they've not been to a children's hospital. The person that's got it all figured out doesn't have a child or has never had a child who suffers. The person that's got the perfect formula for everything in life probably doesn't have a very depth, a very deep spirit. Because today's story, if it doesn't bother you, it should. Today's story is really troubling. A lot of verses, chapter 9, verse 14 through 29. So I'm not going to have you stand as I read those verses. But I want you to follow along with this really troubling story about human suffering. Unjust human suffering. Begin with verse 14 of Mark chapter 9. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. That's Jesus asking. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled over, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never to enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out through prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would teach us what your will and your way is through this story. We believe, Lord, we do. Help our unbelief. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I can handle a lot of stuff. I can handle bad drivers. You know what a roundabout is? You realize you stay on the right, you keep on going. I can handle poor customer service. But don't mess with my kids. You know what I'm saying? Don't you mess with my kids. That's, that crosses the line. 
because there's just something about kids in general, maybe for you too, that brings out the, what do you call it, in me. You don't, you don't do that to a kid. You don't say that to a kid. You don't cross that line. And I can't, when a child suffers, it wrecks me. Gail and I try to go on Netflix or, or Amazon. We're trying to watch a TV show, you know, what the latest, you know, movies are, top 10, something or other. And because you like this, you're going to like this or whatever. And as soon as we get to a kid getting hurt, like, yeah, you know what? I don't want this. I don't want to see this. My wife donates to St. Jude's Hospital. Those commercials make me cry. Don't mess with kids, right? And then in this story, we've got a kid who has been tormented by an evil spirit. Now, that's not fair. That's just not fair. I'm not saying that it's fair for an adult to be tormented by an evil spirit. But maybe you reap what you sow. I don't know. But with a kid, that's just not right. You know what I'm saying? And it turns out to be a controversy story. There's an argument that goes on. I, I guess it would be the Pharisees and the disciples and the teachers of the law. They're all arguing while this boy possessed by a demon is suffering. Now, what was the argument about? Were they arguing because the disciples couldn't cast out the demon? Is that what was going on? Or were they arguing about um, he said, she said, or arguing about how to do it right, or arguing about whether the boy had a demon or not? Or what was the argument about? You know what? Sometimes adults can argue about the stupidest stuff. Here you got a child suffering and the adults are arguing. Now I know it's easy for me to say this, but if I've got Jesus in my back pocket, if I got him with me, I know he's coming off the transfiguration here, but you know, if he's a traveling companion and I run into a demon Never experienced this. I'm speculating here. A demon-possessed boy. I got Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. Listen, this is a terrible case. We, we got to get this boy. Who goes to Jesus? Nobody. Jesus overhears them arguing. And Jesus says, what are you arguing about? I'm stunned by the story. How heartless. I mean, you got 12 apostles right there. I know that they were given powers to cast out demons. I realize that. But if they couldn't do it, rather than argue with the Pharisees, rather than to get caught up in this stuff, get the boy to Jesus. No, no, they're more interested in arguing because you know how it is, right? How many times we get caught up arguing about foolish stuff while the world goes to hell? 
gospel is that Mark Twain said, never argue with a fool because onlookers might not know the difference. This is not very flattering on the disciples, is it? So you've got a boy and you've got his father. I think his father, more than anybody in this story, wants his son to be healed. He is desperate for the healing. He explains to Jesus all that this demon is doing to this boy. And I'm just going to stop right there and say, I don't get that. I don't get that God would allow a child to suffer at the hands of Satan. I don't get that God would allow a child to have cancer. I don't get that God would allow a child to be abused. But I want to tell you that there is a depth to evil that we just don't know. There's a depth to evil that we just don't know. And praise God that Jesus demonstrates his power here, but even later on demonstrates his power because this boy does die eventually. He's not alive today in resurrection, which is all of our hope. But we've got this father. He's desperate. He calls out. And he says something that is remarkable. I don't know if you caught that. He says, I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. Do you see that statement? That is such a crucial statement because that is, that's where we are. We're a mixture of belief and unbelief at the same time. I know we are. I've met people who think that God has not healed them because they don't believe enough. They convince themselves to believe and not doubt at all, which is humanly impossible. I cannot tell you, do not think about a pink elephant. And, you, and then you don't. You just can't, you can't block it out. You can't block out unbelief. Now, I know people, la, 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 they try, but listen, enough time is going to transpire. The doubt is going to creep in there. And the man doesn't say, I partly believe and I partly doubt. He doesn't say, I sort of believe and I sort of don't believe. He says, I believe and I don't believe at the same time. They're together, which reminds me that at the same time, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Now, I know you say, well, you, can't be, you can't be fully human and fully God because fully means full. You can't have two fulls in one. Well, at the same time, we can really believe and we can have confidence in God and we can have doubt at the same time. That's this man. And Jesus doesn't say, well, listen, you got to fully believe or it's not going to work. Which I've heard people say, oh, you know what? The reason it didn't work is because you didn't really believe. Really? 
So we fully believe and we doubt and Jesus, God, works with us where we are. The first thing I want you to recognize is that we don't have to have it all together for God to function and operate. God knows who we are. That's why Jesus came as fully human, because he knew what life would be like as a human. Number two, God takes us where we are, not where others think we should be. I think the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they thought that the disciples should be able to cast out that demon. I, I think they, they believed that the disciples had this magic formula. They had done it before, and they got in an argument because it wasn't working this time. God takes us where we are, not where others think we should be. I think sometimes we try to live up to somebody else's standard that we simply cannot achieve. The standard that we need to achieve is one of dependence on God. The standard is dependence on God. Not a particular level of knowledge or a level of belief, but instead dependence on God. Did you see, they ask him privately, of course, I would do it privately too. There's some embarrassment. How, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Did you see the private conversation? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, this kind can only come out through prayer. Now, we know that the disciples prayed. Okay? We, we know they prayed. One time they even asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, so were they not saying the magic prayer? Is there a magic thing that you need to say? I went to a speaker one time and he talked about how to cast out demons and he, he said, this is the line that you say to cast out demons. I don't even remember what the line is. I've never been able to use it. It's not a magic formula. What prayer is, prayer is an expression of dependence on our need for God. When we pray, we are authentically expressing our faith in God despite what things look like. Prayer is an act of defiance in the face of visible stuff. When we see the doctor's report, when we see bad behavior, when we see an incarcerated loved one, when we see a drug addict, when we see a broken person, we don't see them. We see a God who can change everything because God's all-powerful. So even though it's not looking very good, we pray in faith that God can call that person back just like the prodigal son. There's nothing God can't do. Isn't that cool? Prayer is an act of faith despite what things look like. I, I've been here 11 years. I was thinking, to, talking to my, my brother last couple weeks ago and said, I just, I don't think like, I, I don't think I've done a good job at the Fayetteville Christian Church teaching the importance of prayer. And these 11 years, prayer has diminished 
diminish, diminish. Now there's three kinds of prayer. Bob Russell, a preacher, once said there's private prayer, and that's where you go into a, a closed room and you pray by yourself. And then there's the kind of prayer that Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about that you pray without ceasing, that you, you just live your life and you pray without ceasing. But there's a third kind of prayer called corporate prayer. And that's when, when people come together and pray. When, when Peter and John were in jail, the, the church came together and they prayed. They were having a prayer service. When Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he went out to the garden and he wanted the disciples to come with him and to pray with him. There's corporate prayer. And if anything, corporate prayer has just gone downhill at this church. Now, why is that? I wonder if it's because we think that prayer is just talking to God, not an act of defiance in the face of human tragedy and human suffering. Now, I know, I know because I've done it. You can sit back and you can argue about why a good God would allow children to have cancer. You can sit back and have all kinds of theological arguments that if God knew who he was going to save, why did he create people that were going to perish? You, you could ask theological questions that are complex and provocative and everybody's got an opinion and you know what you're going to end up doing you're going to end up arguing among each other while a child suffers see what i'm saying you could be just like the disciples who are talking and arguing rather than seeing a human need and praying about it oh that this would be a church that prays together how can we get there again? Well, maybe we have to first of all recognize that God takes us where we are and we pray to our God from where we are. And finally, the last thing from this story is that this father is desperate. He's desperate and Jesus heals his son. It's an example of somebody who is completely weak, who calls out to God and God responds. And that's what I want to close with. And this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 talks about the thorn that Paul receives in his flesh. He says, Paul, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And verse 9 is just such a crucial verse. And this is God's reply to Paul. See, Jesus had already risen from the grave, so he's in heaven, and Paul is speaking to God. And if you would have a Bible with the red words that represent God speaking, you'll see in red, here's the response to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Being weak is exactly where God wants us to be. In the face of human suffering, if you are human, you're going to feel broken and weak. This is not right. 
And so you respond by going to the Lord in prayer out of weakness. You don't even know how to pray. Oh, Lord. And that's when you are your strongest. My power is made perfect in weakness. So this story bothers me that God would allow something like this. But then the story inspires me. Because out of all these characters, I can relate to the father who's desperate. I don't know about you. I can relate to the father that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the father that talks to Jesus while everybody else is arguing. And the father that sees his son to be healed and made whole. What an incredible miracle, life-changing for that man. And I want to tell you, God does answer prayers today, and it's going to be life-changing for you too. There's no secret formula. There's no certain words you say. There's no amount of belief you have to have. Instead, you just got to recognize that I am weak here, and God, you're going to have to be strong. And that's when God's power is greatest, is when we are weakest. We have a prayer group that meets on Sunday morning before church, 8.45 in the morning, one of the classrooms in the gym. I'd encourage you to come to that. We have a prayer meeting that meets on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock in one of the classrooms across from the office. I'd encourage you to come and pray with us then. One of the great things about praying together is that it's hard. When you pray with people, you start to see the ways that they struggle in prayer. You get to hear them say, I don't even know how to pray about this. Or they say, you know, I'm ready to go to heaven, but I think God has me here for a reason. Or they say, we have prayed for this so many times. I'm sorry to bring it up again, but I really want to pray. What I'm saying is we share our weakness when we pray. And it's in the context of weakness that we pray together that we are emboldened. And we're like, we're praying together, and when we're weak, then God is strong, and this is going to happen. God's going to intervene. It's a great story of prayer, a great story of desperation, a great story of misplaced priorities, a great story of a father. So here's what I want to leave you with today. Don't give up. Don't give up. The people who care might be busy arguing about stupid stuff. But you've got an audience in God, a loving father, who doesn't want you to be hurt, who knows that you are a combination of faith and doubt all rolled in one, and he's going to respond to you. And he's going to respond to you in this world, but certainly in heaven. So you can have confidence in him. You can be emboldened. You can be completely transparent and say, God, I believe help my own belief. That's okay. 
It's exactly where we need to be in a place of weakness. That's when God's power is strong, strongest. Let's pray together.